Hello, everyone! Welcome to the second episode of Weaving Myths Season 3. Weaving Myths is a podcast focused on tabletop role-playing games, and specifically playing them through the play-by-post format. I'm your host, Nathan, and joining me today is Ruben. Ruben is muted somehow. Uh, Colin? Oh, oh, hello. I didn't have my mic on. (laughs) I was still on mute. Hi! Uh, Colin? Hello, everyone. Eric? Good evening. Uh, we are all moderators or administrators on Mythweavers, a play-by-post gaming website, and we're here to help you bring your game to the next level. If you're not familiar with Mythweavers, you can find it at myth-weavers.com. As always, we are joined by the impeccable text chat, which members of Mythweavers are using right now to ask questions and contribute to the discussion. Um, if you too would like to be a part of the text chat, feel free to join us on the Mythweavers Twitch channel every other Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This episode, we're going to be discussing in-character versus player knowledge, and we're also going to talk about some common mistakes that people who are new to play-by-post make, um, whether they're a GM or a player. So, the first topic on the agenda is character versus player knowledge, and this is also sometimes known as metagaming. So, would somebody like to give us a description of what this issue really is? Sure. Best example. Oh, We just joined this battle, and I know every single weakness of this monster that we've never seen before in this game. Yeah, or, oh, don't worry about the prince. Uh, In three books from now, he dies, so we don't have to worry about him. (laughs) As actually happened in the vampire game. Hmm. Or, oh, I know exactly what will kill this enemy. It could be it could be any number of things. So when when your players are metagaming, um, basically what they're doing is they're using knowledge that their characters may or may not necessarily have to make the game easier for themselves or make it more, maybe not more difficult for the GM, but to use that knowledge to gain perhaps an unfair advantage. I mean, Um, it's literally what the player knows using that uh, as if the character also knew, as if the character had access to the books and stuff like that. Right. Right. That's definitely not always the case. Yeah. Level one character is not going to come out having met every single monster known to the bestiary and, uh, use that knowledge in their first encounter. It's just not going to happen, but it does all too often in our games. Not that the players need to play dumb, but sometimes their character needs to learn within the game concept, the game construct to uh, make it more exciting, more interesting. Exactly. So I guess the primary purpose of this topic is to kind of figure out how to curb that. And in play by post, I would be willing to say it's much easier than at a table to control this sort of thing. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Um, sorry, I spaced out there for a second. So the question is, do you think it's easier on play-by-post to avoid metagaming, or is it possibly more difficult because the people who are playing are more knowledgeable about the game? Well, that may have access to the internet to look up things, and they're not going to slow things down if they also look up things. But at the same time, I think it's, I think it's about the same, really. People have more access, but I also think once you have a regular stable of players, you can kind of start picking for players that don't do that. Right. So has anyone come across this in their play-by-post adventures? Not really. In general, I tend to pick a more narrative style, and so that usually breeds a type of player who uh, avoids metagaming simply because it's just not part of their play style. So do we need to pick a new topic? (laughs) (laughs) Well... It's important to note that player knowledge isn't metagaming. You can know everything in the monster manual, but if your character never acts on that knowledge, then you're not metagaming. That's true. And one of the values that we'll point out later in the game is, uh, or later in the podcast, is the ability to prompt what's going on within the rest of the game. You can actually create kind of a freezing effect if everyone's too hesitant to try something because it might be a f- they might be fearing that it's perceived as metagaming. Um, that they'll just kind of try and sit back. Well, I know too much, so I, I won't try and share that knowledge. If no one else knows it, maybe just even a little out-of-character nudge saying, hey, let's try this, just because. Like Part of the problem with Playboy Post is it's actually just hard to spot. If it's done halfway cleverly, I don't think you're ever actually going to know. That's true. And, you know, there's a, there's a distinction there, I think, that can be made between playing dumb and then playing nice. So, like where the player, rather than pretending they don't know the knowledge at all, they are able to control their character in such a way that the character doesn't seem like they know whatever piece of information gives them an advantage. Yeah, I don't know. I just, 
I've never really run into this problem much. I don't think it happens really all that much. There is a certain perception problem, I think, that's had that players who are knowledgeable are inherently metagamers, which isn't true at all. Uh, Players who are knowledgeable simply may have played a lot of the game, and so they've they've been exposed to many different things, possibly by uh, a variety of GMs. So there's nothing wrong with being a knowledgeable player. Um, It gives you an ability to uh, put some depth into your character development so that you can put parameters on that knowledge that you have in your own brain um, and how much of it is going to be expressed in the character. Uh, Where were they raised? How did they grow up? What was their family like? Did they get exposed to the adventuring type life early on in their in their career such that they'd have an opportunity to learn some of the things that they as a player already know? I like something that Regicide just said. He said metagaming is basically just failing at role playing. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> well, and you know, I, I think oh sorry, go ahead. No. I think part of the problem too with the perception that this happens a lot is that uh, popular culture has really kind of made it seem like it's much more of a problem than it really is. With stuff like Knights at the Dinner Table, or Full Frontal Nerdity, comics like that. Well, I think, too, because when everyone talks about metagaming, it's always someone doing it intentionally, and I think it's, well, it's similar to a lot of things in life. It's easy to remember the bad or irritating moments. You don't really give a thought for, okay, this one person metagamed, but... All these other players have never done that. There's far more good players, I think, as far as metagaming, not metagaming. Uh, the other thing is, there are some games that kind of almost encourage metagaming. I think Fate's a lot like this, because Fate lets you actually discover aspects about characters rather easily, and you can also literally dictate things about the scene. Right. Is it possible for a GM to metagame? Certainly, yeah, that aspect. Oh, yeah. Actually, I think that might be the bigger problem. What do you mean? Explain. Uh, well, let's take for an example, the party comes upon five goblins. And you've got a barbarian, a wizard, and a couple of, and a rogue. And they just all shoot at the wizard. Like, they actually just know he's the wizard. Uh, whereas he's traveling with a couple other lightly armored... Yeah, that's true. I mean, I know when I GM, I tend to give my monsters way more knowledge than they should have. It's easy to do, though, because as the DM, you actually do have all of the knowledge at your disposal. So so maybe we shouldn't be talking about character versus player knowledge. Maybe we should be talking <laughs> about character versus GM knowledge. <laughs> uh, I think that, that may actually be an interesting angle there, because now you think about it. Why? What is the incentive for players to metagame? Well, not die. Do they gain an advantage? Do they feel that they need that advantage? Do they feel they're being mistreated by the GM who's perhaps taking advantage of knowledge that the NPCs wouldn't necessarily have at, immediately at their disposal? Yeah, actually, frankly, players' metagaming might be a result of the GM's metagaming too much. Right. And, you know, that that also kind of lends itself to the style of GM. You know, like, I know most of us try to do the correct thing as a GM where we try to collaboratively build a story. But there are a lot of GMs out there that they're out to get their players. Like, they're trying to rack up player kills. and The old Viking hat GM. Yeah, and I think that could definitely be a driving force in why players would metagame in the first place. Well, you know, one example of metagaming I've seen a lot. Every Shadowrun character instantly knowing about the GM, the, the uh, Johnson screw. Yes. <laughs> Wholeheartedly agree with that one. And you know what? The Johnson screw really only comes about because the GM is being a dick. Or he was trying to be too much of a movie star here. And you, know, you just assume, <laughs> hey, we've all watched Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise. And, yep, yep. Saw that one coming. You know, I think if I ever run a Shadowrun game ever again, I'll probably put as the tagline, sometimes a job is just a job. <laughs> Please don't kill this in the pre-job plan simply because you're afraid of uh, being backstabbed. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, that's why when I run Shadowrun games, I literally have a very long manifesto I write, like, explaining that I think these are all problems and they're not things I'm going to do. Uh, Cujo, the Johnson screw was, uh, the Johnson and Shadowrun is the guy who hires the runners. He will hire the runners, they will come back, and then, ah, curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal, because the Johnson screws them over. Instead of paying them, he sets up a kill box and tries to kill all the party. And so, all it takes is for this to happen once, and now your party is paranoid forever. Yep. 
No, and it doesn't you know, take it happening in a game. I mean, a lot of parties go in with this preconceived notion that you're going to try to backstab them at every turn. Yeah, I think the more hostile the GM player relationship becomes, the more likely metagaming becomes. So I think one of the best ways to avoid metagaming, stop being a dick. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. If it, yeah, it is. It all goes back to the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. That goes for DMing a game as well. I mean, if you want your players to go along with your game and cooperate, then you got to cooperate with them. Yeah, we'll um, get into that, I think, a little more extensively in the later part of this podcast. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, too, is as a GM, you want to give a good challenge to your party. Like, you don't want the fights to be too easy or the challenges to be too easy, because then it's not fun. In order to do that, we kind of have to play monsters smarter than they might be or stuff like that. And I think it's really easy to take that too far. Yeah, I think one... tailor the encounter simply because you know the character's abilities and their strategies in advance, you're taking advantage. And I've been pretty guilty of this, too. So one thing I do with a lot of my monsters is when I'm setting them up, I give each one of them a motivation and a tactic. And I try to write those out at kind of their intelligence level. So goblins might be... Motivation, kill smallest thing. Our tactic would be, like, kill smallest thing, and motivation would be fight until we're kind of hurt. Yeah, yeah. like, um, I actually, just a couple weeks ago, ran a one-shot for uh, my little brother and a couple of his friends, and um, one of the things I really liked about the adventure that we went through was that it didn't intentionally make every combat more difficult. Like, it intentionally threw easy things at them to encourage them to not be paranoid because it was supposed to be kind of like a lighthearted fun adventure. So that's something you can easily do to kind of curb that behavior of metagaming is like, you know, not everything you fight is going to total party kill. Well, I think too, once the players do learn something in character, don't later change the facts about that. Mm -hmm. You have to be consistent. Yep. Keep good notes. Or, you know, some notes. (laughs) Or run it on play by post where, if someone goes, I think you said you can go, oh, shit, yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those count as good notes in my book. Yeah. Yeah, play-by-post has been useful a few times with that, where I, you know, oh, blah, 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 this happens and everyone goes, actually, didn't you say, oh, thank God, I've got a hard copy I can reference and go, oh, never mind, that doesn't happen. Yep. Yeah, there's been, like, some games that were going for multiple years where I had to go back to, like, the first years of Threads just to... Make sure I was being consistent. Yes, this is a super challenge for some of my really long-running games. Players don't remember details from back then. They have a vague recollection, and it's the wrong thing, and you have to go point it out to them. (laughs) Now, this is not to say, you know, if you're going to run an adventure, even whether or not you're making the monsters smarter than they really should be, uh, you don't have to play it by the book either. You can make changes to things and add abilities or takeaway features or make the creatures different or unusual in some way, um, which can help curb metagaming as well. Yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah, there's a reason that the monster manuals usually have a section about modifying and customizing monsters. Yeah, from a player's side, one thing you can do to kind of help yourself, if you have a tendency to metagame about certain things, build your character actually justify that out-of-character knowledge. I mean, if you like to say, oh, hey, that spell is that, well, maybe play a wizard who would actually know that stuff. Yeah, get your spellcraft up. Right. <laughs> now, now, just watching Colin. <laughs> is metagaming... She's mean. She is rolling mean. Chairs. Rolling chairs are going to cause the death of this podcast. <laughs> is it metagaming before the game starts? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, actually, when the game starts, you kind of have to metagame. Yeah. Uh, mostly because uh, you don't want a party to show up and like, oh, what'd you make for a character? I made a fighter. Well, what'd you make? Oh, oh I made crap. a fighter. What'd you make? Oh, I made a fighter. Oh, come on. The four-fighter party in Final Fantasy is fun. Well, yeah. Try it D&D sometime. Let's just take all magic off the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you got to metagame when you're creating characters, and also to make sure the personalities you're creating aren't going to clash too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want a Shadow One party where you have a hardcore corporate kind of drone and then a radical eco-terrorist. <laughs> or a party with a necromancer and a paladin. I don't know. I mean, that makes some good reality TV, I think. 
Or, you know, a party with two Inquisitors with different perspectives on how to do things. Oh, wait, that happened. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that happened. (laughs) He went there. Oh, I went there. That was was good times, but we did metagame that, which I think made it more of a pain in the ass for Nathan. You know, Um, those characters actually had a really good dynamic, for the record. But, because we planned it in advance. Okay, I guess that's fair. But I'd also argue as a player, sometimes it's good to make a game. I've done this too, especially when I'm with a less experienced GM who's like trotting out the old tropes for the first time. You know, be a nice guy and, you know. Go along. Yeah, go along. I mean, go go agree to, you know, uh, fetch the staff of several discombobulated parts. And, you know, sometimes rehashing those tropes can be fun anyway, so. Yeah, and there's been times where I thought my character would actually know something, but had him play a little bit dumb just because I thought it'd be a better story. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a important point to make. Metagaming is a choice. Like, you can, especially in a bad context, like, you can choose to metagame in such a way that it makes the experience worse, but you can also choose to metagame so that it makes the experience better. I would argue that it's not always necessarily intentional at first. Oh, I don't think it is a lot of the time. Well, sometimes it is, but yeah, I think you're right, Ruben. A lot of the time it's, you know, someone, they know the system, they know the creatures, they know this, that, or the other, and something will happen and, oh, you know, well, this thing's only going to have this much health, or they've only got this armor class, roughly. And it's not them consciously meaning to do it, it's just all that wealth of knowledge jumping ahead and they haven't stopped and gone, oh, wait, my character doesn't know this. Well, in a skeleton could only be a surprise for the first time, not very often. Yeah. But the fourth or fifth time you encounter them, it's just like, all right, time to switch to the base. Yeah. Oh, they're not, they're immune to piercing weapons. Who knew? Never well, would have guessed. Sometimes uh, you can actually metagame out of excitement. I mean, I know I was in a game recently and they plunked a beholder uh, figure on the table and I got excited. I'm like, oh, it's a, and like, we had some new players who actually didn't know what a beholder was, and but sometimes your enthusiasm just gets the better of you. Yep. And that's actually something we can talk about in the next session. Just this bit. I don't know. I don't know. Almost how much more do you guys have on this? Almost as plan these things to go with each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't, no, that I don't never think happens. we have a whole lot more for this particular topic. There wasn't really a whole lot to talk about, and I'm glad we were able to milk it for all the discussion we got, so... <laughs> I was well, going to say, I mean, not a lot of talk. Not a lot to talk about, and we got over 30 minutes of it. Uh, I think so. if this does happen as a as a player, GM, you should just talk with a player. Hash that likely you would any other problem, just out of character. And players, if you think your GM is maybe metagaming a bit, bring it up with him as a group. Privately first. Privately. Yeah. Commun- as always, communication is essential. And we did an episode on communication. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I think we bring it up every chance we can. <laughs> mm-hmm. Obsessively, even. Because we have all screwed up at it in the past. Yes. We're screwing it up right now, probably. All my players <laughs> would say so, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, why haven't you posted in four days? Sorry. My bad. <laughs> oh, man. Only four days? You want to trade games? <laughs> I don't know gonna... any of your systems. That won't work so well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go <laughs> before Colin <laughs> <Dawn> starts talking. <laughs> No, that's true. All of us look fantastic. Compared to Okay. I'm just gonna tell you compared to Eric, just I'm just gonna tell you. I'm getting married in forty days ish. That sounds very biblical. So (laughs) so I'm very busy at the moment. Um in fact I have uh what is it? Four women in the other room right now getting ready for a bridal shower tomorrow. So um yeah. It's, and you it's are insanity. locked in here. Oh, don't worry. The run-up to the wedding's easy part. Mm. Ruben, she's <laughs> sitting right there. Do you want to die on live stream? <laughs> well, I, I think she's probably tuned to be out. All right. Uh, cardboard standy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have any closing thoughts on metagaming or player versus character knowledge before we move on? No, nah, I think we really wrung this out for about all we could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ex-GMs as players. What? What? If you're a GM and you're a player in someone else's game, you're most likely to commit this sin. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep. Relax, you're a player. Just enjoy the ride. 
Yeah, really. You don't have to plan anything for once. That's why Barbarian's a fun class for that. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to plan things, like if your Game Master hasn't posted for two weeks. <laughs> a burn. So... Sure that was directed at. <laughs> Alright, y'all are gonna be the death of me, but I love you anyway. We've been trying, you're just not dying. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about some of the most common mistakes we see people make on Mythverse. Well, making a crappy ad. If you don't put enough effort into your ads, you're not going to get a lot of player applications. I cannot count the number of times I have seen an ad that says, we're doing this adventure, make a character, and that's it. Like, there's no there's no fluff, there's no expectations, it's, this is the game I'm running, please join. Oh god, lack of expectations is a killer. Hey, yeah, we're doing this adventure, and I'd like you to post three times a day. Oh. <laughs> God. Well, first, good luck with that. Second, uh, no, this is not the game for me because I post a few times a week. Oh, man, three posts a day. God. I work from home, and I don't think I can manage that. There are some people who think play-by-posts should be um, synchronous. Right, yeah. They, they, uh, they should really run a Discord game. Yeah, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. You know... I- in the same vein of getting a game going, I think it's a big mistake that a lot of people start their games off with, you're all sitting in a tavern, what are you drinking? Um, I think I think that's probably the most overused opening for a campaign ever. It's useful for, like, a pre-game roleplay, but as an actual start to the game, I, I can't imagine a more terrible way to do it on play-by-post. Yeah, it's not time for character development. Well, that... It's easy to kind of sit back and not post. You need to prod the players to start posting to kind of get the momentum going. Although, didn't we have an entire episode segment on how to start a game? Yes. We also had one on ads. Yes. Yep. A whole episode on ads. You know, I kind of want to revisit that now that we're doing the video podcast, because now we can actually, like, show the ads in the vi- in the podcast, so we can oh. be like... This is an. This is a really good one. This is a terrible. Oh, <laughs> uh, we gotta be careful about that. Oh uh, well, yeah, we're gonna have to make fake terrible ones. Okay, yeah. yeah. Or you know, get too, really I mean, old ones. Bad game ads too, though, usually are the result of inexperience. Not. I'm not gonna say, oh, this ad is terrible because this person's a crappy writer. No, it's they're still starting out. Right now. I will say, there's a difference between being new to the site and having a terrible ad, and having been on the site for several years and having a terrible ad. Sheet's only user that goes active on the forum, finally. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> but, but, but still, the point stands. Like, if you've been around and you've been active for a long time, and you throw a two-sentence ad at me, and I look at your posting history and you have a couple thousand posts, I'm like... No, yeah, thanks. Pass. Maybe, maybe GMing isn't your thing. Right. Yeah. Put a little more effort in. <laughs> well, you know, the ones where it's clear, you know, they started as a Sheets user, and they're just active, you know, six, seven years. I mean, we just had a few members that hit up the intro section and said, hey, how's it going, everyone? I've been here for years, but I've only been using Sheets, but now I'm checking out the forum. Yep, fair enough. So that well, happens plenty. Those, well, you can tell those uh, players because... They'll have been joined for years, but they'll have a very low post count. Looks like a good sandwich. <laughs> Fried chicken. Oh, I've got some chicken upstairs. Wait, I had pizza for dinner tonight. So, <laughs> well, when you got four ladies out there planning a party, you don't want to be in their way. Right. Yep. So another GM sin that we've talked about before, but it's a, another thing that will uh, will hinder the game really quickly is having this plot in your head that you know exactly how the game's going to go, and it really doesn't matter who the players or characters are that are in your game. You're just going to do your thing. If the people that are playing don't have a reason to play, if the characters don't have a reason to go do whatever it is you got in your head, unmotivation, demotivation is, is a quick killer. It write a book instead. Up. Yeah, well, and you know what? When you're writing the game, don't write the plot. Write situations. Yes. Yep. Maybe a couple defining moments, maybe a couple different outcomes for defining moments. You can do general point-to-point, but don't plan out every encounter, every combat. Leaves things flexible. Be ready to improvise here and there, because 
well, railroad tracks don't work and players are monsters sometimes. Um, Speaking from experience guidelines. as a player. <laughs> um, if you could run the same plot regardless of who, uh, who applies the game and what their characters are, it's too generic or it's too railroady. Which is not to say you can't run a pre-gen. Right. But again, going back into setting expectations, when you come out saying, I'm going to write, I'm going to run this pre-gen for you, that tells the players, I don't really have a lot of maneuvering room on where the plot's going to go because the book says it goes here or not. And if we don't, the GM's just going to throw up his hands and say, sorry, guys. <laughs> and as a GM, if there's something you really want to explore in the game, be upfront about that. Let yeah. the players build characters toward that idea. <laughs> don't say we're going to run a generic second edition D&D adventure and transition into Night Below. Yeah. So, Which, for, for all of you who don't know what Night Below is because you're not old enough, it was a very, very classic psionics-based adventure. And if you went in with nobody who was able to, to compete against Ithalids, you were in for a bad time. Yeah, we that get was a... Your old grandpa. <laughs> Thacko, so Margaret, was king. So Thacko was the... wacko if you're a teen. <laughs> so I put this next one on the list, but I'm not really sure if it's actually a common mistake or not. Um, um, but... I do this too much. <laughs> but if you say yes too much, you, you kind of start to let your players have control of the game rather than... Um, especially if you're doing it just to keep your players happy. Um, you really want to make sure that you're saying yes to things that um, are balanced and fair. You don't want to say yes to things that are just going to make your players happy. Because um, I think this could be the biggest problem during the application process. Yep. Well, and this isn't just a play-by-post mistake. This is a general Game Master mistake. Oh, yeah. I've had more than one moment where newer Game Master or less experienced Game Master, and if I'm a player, I've gotten very good at asking, oh, can this, can I do, do this? Oh, these eight things all chain together, now I can do this. Yeah, I had that happen when I first started on Mythweavers. I think it was my second or third game I was running. Someone kind of played me like that. They said, well, can I do this and this and this and this and this? And I said yes to all the thing, all those things. And they were like, okay, well, now I'm going to do this one big thing, and now your game is ruined. <laughs> so it, it's uh, speaking a little bit from experience there. <laughs> I like how you make the big heart shape before you crack it down the middle. Yeah. Well, and when you do say no, make sure it's no buts. Try to find some middle ground. I think that's true of anything, though. Like, um... What was it? I've been watching um, Critical Role a little bit recently, mm. and one of my one of my favorite things that the that Matthew Mercer does from that is he says you can certainly try. So like, uh, especially this is more in character rather than like character creation. But he doesn't really say no until the character or the player explains how they're going to try to do the thing they're trying to. Do. And I think that applies to a lot of situations. It's it's like. Yes, and, or yes, but, or those types of qualifiers. Yeah. I like what uh, Regicide said, you know, the more magnanimous, I will allow it. <laughs> Is that magnanimous? Magnanimous. Magnanimous. Thank you. Mm, words please. are hard. But words they are. are. Hard. You, you do have to have sometimes firm boundaries, though. I mean, there there's some things that you just yes. don't want to accept, either for story reasons or... Um, I mean, I frequently will not allow a fair amount of splat books in my TV oh, yeah. 3.5 games, and people will accuse me of destroying the game. I don't own the book, and I'm not going to illegally purchase the book and acquire it from inappropriate places. So, nope, no, I'll play with that one. Sorry. No, you may not use anything from D&D Wiki. I oh feel like that is the perfect moment, Eric, right then to have like that you wouldn't steal a car. Video play. <laughs> you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't break into a house. Don't steal PDFs. <laughs> now we need. Now we need the rainbow. The more you know. Oh yeah, yeah. The more you know, rainbow. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been a public service announcement from Rodrigo, who thanks <laughs> you for not having a cease and desist order sent against his site. Yes. <laughs> yeah, those are those are fun too. I can't remember how many years. It's been a while. We clamped up. Damn it, Ruben. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, I, 
Oh god. No, we don't want to see Shia LaBeouf live. Please no. <laughs> okay. How that ended up on the next plane. Okay. So this Where is very applicable. The next yeah. mistake I see is that people don't think before they answer questions. <laughs> There's no time! <sighs> so, on play-by-post, it's super easy to bang out a reply really quick, if you are motivated to do so. But sometimes you really should slow down and say, hang on, wait a second, let me think about this for a day or so. And have the freedom to do that because of the way the game is structured. So, uh, yeah, um, basically, think before you answer a question, ultimately. Think before you post. Yeah, Don't think before you post. Yep. Then, after you're done writing the post, step away for a minute, reread it, then post. Especially if it's one of those, like, touchy things, like, um, this answering this question in a certain way could lead to a character that will ruin my game. So, you with those types of rules-related questions, you want to really be careful. The way Tiffany Corda puts it, think once, think twice, post. Yep. Pithy. Should put that on a shirt. No one's going to judge you if you take an extra five minutes to think about your post. Well, it depends on the game master and the players now, doesn't it? When they see... That wasn't even a shot at you, Nathan. No comment. (laughs) When your fellow game members see that your status is writing a post to this thread, and it stays that way for 15 minutes, yeah, they're judging you. Maybe. They shouldn't, but they're judging you. But... You can take an extra five minutes. Got probably it. take an extra 15 or an hour. But don't wait. Don't wait to post. Right. You know, as a GM, if you need a player to do something and they're not acting, a little nudge via the OC thread is probably an appropriate yeah. way to uh, to get their action to happen. But ultimately, if the action has to happen, it's your job to make it. I think that goes back to, well, it, it's a point we have coming up. But you have to set the expectations for your game. So people who don't set the expectations for their game really are making a huge mistake. Like, you have to communicate to your players that you expect X number of posts per week. And if you don't, then I'm going to move the the action along for you, basically. So it's it's really important to set your expectations around. And I know, I think we've harped on this a little bit in the past, but that one I think is really, really important. And the other aspect is balancing among the group is good. Um, the more people who are participating in a scene, the more people who are having fun, the better the game's going to go along. Uh, but absolutely avoid having someone in that critical path position where nothing moves forward until they say go. Uh, because then their delays become everyone's delays and everything slows way down. I've been guilty of that recently. Right. The Letting- biggest- Biggest challenge I have, I have a group that's uh, Stargate, so it's quasi-military. And so everyone is looking to the commander of the group to make the decision. Um, if the commander is posting fast, everything goes like clockwork. If the commander is a little slow, it can be a painful. And you know, that ties in... Go, go ahead, now. Yeah, that ties in really nicely with the next one. Really can't let one or two players dominate the game. It has to be everybody contributing together. Um and in certain systems, like with Stargate, where there's a commander in charge and they make all the decisions, it's a little different. But if you have a traditional like D&D party and only one or two people are really driving things forward, you kind of have to step back and reevaluate what's going on, um, the party as a whole. Well, and you need to look at the players, too. It could just be the fact that maybe a couple of players don't post as often. Maybe they don't write as well. Maybe they're intimidated by how well the others write. Yeah, that too. Got that issue in one of my games, too, right now. I have an issue where I have a player who shall remain nameless, but she's upstairs. And people know her relationship to me, and they sometimes assume that if she starts driving in a particular direction, that she has special knowledge. Uh, you realize hmm. we'll rat you out to her in a heartbeat, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Look, she knows that I know. She knows that I've said this, and she knows what her fellow players have or have not said in the past. You want to repeat what she knows? <laughs> oh, sure. Um, dinner was just delivered. Thank you very much. Roast wow. chicken and couscous. Yum. 
She the could take that back. Of that walking could not have been better, though. It was perfect. <laughs> She's now shaking. <laughs> I'm about to get very wet. Yeah, not Don't do that. I'll get you in <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm good for that. I was just explaining how occasionally certain players in our games might misconstrue that you have special knowledge because, uh, well, you know. Oh, I totally do, because I'm inside your head, and I've been inside your head for <laughs> He doesn't tell me anything. There's just this, like, Vulcan mind meld thing. I can't help it. Thank you, dear, for bringing me there. <laughs> I'm assuming you were hungry, right? I did get that move. Derailment. Derailment is something that can't be told in games either. Oh, but I'm so good at it. <laughs> 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 and this okay. Oh my god. Bye. Bye. Whose idea was this? <laughs> Let's, Let's railroad do a video chat, he said. Speaking said. of railroading. <laughs> So speaking of railroading, you definitely don't want to have your game be railroaded too much. <laughs> that was less a segue and more one of those little electric scooters. Yeah, really. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Coat railroad. Do we really need to say this? No. If you if you want to dictate the actions of all the characters, write a novel. Otherwise, pre- be prepared for disappointment and flex your game. And the or, like this episode just could have been condensed and. Don't be a bad game master. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta explain to people what that is. Sometimes graphic. nuance that way. Now, there is an alternative where... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm derailed. I'm, I'm gone. I'm derailed. That's it. It's over. This is it. This is how it ends. Um, See, when we went to video, the possibility of video bombing just went up. We warned you about it, too, Nathan. Yeah, I just don't remember what I was going to say anymore. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone right. forever. <laughs> well, the other thing you have to remember to do is uh, you have to set expectations for the game very clearly. Uh, if you don't, bad things happen. But don't make it a dictatorship. If you are telling them how they have to play, what they should be doing, um, what they're what options are just completely off the table and never in a million years should your character consider this in the game? Mm, that's that's a little bit too much of a dictatorship. I mean, Not uh, saying, uh, we're going to be playing four-color superheroes. That's good. Saying, you will play members of the Justice League is bad. Yep. Just, you know, make sure you don't come, you know, you don't want to be running a four-color super game and then one guy makes Deadpool. <laughs> no, that would be slightly bad. Depending how you cope with chaos, that could be awesome. Yeah, unless yeah. you want specifically wanted to run like an old JSA game or something like that. Yeah, you also need to avoid critiquing how the characters play or how the players play their characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you might make a different decision in their shoes doesn't mean that their decision isn't interesting or valid in its own way. And you know, this actually extends not just to the character actions, but the actions of the player as well. So, like. Mm-hmm. If they're not if they're not writing posts that you think are long enough, maybe there's a reason for that, and you need to communicate with that with, with the players. And again, this goes back to expectations and be like, you need to write decently long posts and that sort of thing. But it's not just I actually um, helped somebody handle a situation like this where the GM of the game, like all the players, would post, and then the GM would critique like their grammar and their the length of their post and Oof. yeah it's it was stuff like that and that's just not good or healthy for the game at all so it's not just the characters of the or the actions of the characters but also the style of posts and all those things as well yeah if you have expectations for novel like quality in your posts okay you can set those up front make sure you take that into account when you're selecting your players and don't just grab the first five schlubs that put in an application Chances are you're going to get someone who is not an aspiring novelist. Another important, the opposite of that, if you've got a lower number of applications, but you're still over the number you complete party, you don't need to extend the deadline two weeks, three weeks, to try and ferret out other players you might like. It's 
it's going to feel a little unfair to some of the players that have already applied as if you're saying, oh, you're not quite good enough. Nathan, you're trying to say something, Colin? <laughs> Everything I say is a critique. I swear. <laughs> Don't take no. it personally as a GM if your players have comments. Yes. So, have you guys... I, this was another one. This is kind of similar to the metagaming thing. Have you guys ever run into a situation where a DM has been actively trying to kill the player? Oh, yeah. Okay. In play-by-post, no. Well, I mean, there was a zombie survival game, and that kind of felt... That's kind of... I don't know. That one's That's a tough one. That depends on situations like that, especially any survival genre. You kind of get into that... You have to evaluate is the reason they died because the game master kind of set up the situation for it, or did they die because the player made a bad choice and the game master just held that character accountable? I've I've run a few zombie games, and that really does... There have been times when it's an at-the-table game. I've had to pause and go, you know, am I killing them because they did something that irritated me just now, or did they do something stupid enough where, you know, okay, this is... They're going to die. Uh, we're going to say goes back to setting expectations for about the 15th time this episode, but it really does go back to setting expectations. If you're saying this is a zombie survival game and I'm going to play it on the slightly harder side, difficult in that I'm going to punish you for bad mistakes. They will generally lead to your death. Make your best choices, but know that the setting is not forgiving. Okay. Now you've said it. If you don't say it and you have a bunch of players who have a more typical Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 or later edition mentality, they're expecting that it's going to be just hard enough to challenge us, but we'll overcome it almost every time. Yeah. But I think this attitude goes back to the old D&D stuff, the old tournament novels or modules where they were timed and whoever got through the most of the module first uh, got like prizes. Mm-hmm. Or the winners, and so DMs were expected to be very adversarial. But I think it's much less much less of a problem now. People have it realized that it's much more me. about collaborative storytelling than you know fighting one another. Well, especially as more and more live uh, actual play stuff ends up on the internet and on YouTube, and people start seeing how a lot of games are more narrative. Yep, internet has definitely helped. On the flip side, you know, that's been a bit of an intimidating factor for some people that might want to become play-by-post players. Oh, it just because, seen... Well, and uh, Mrs. Collin is one that uh, had issues with that at first because she was seeing, oh, you know, all these huge narrative posts, and she's gone, oh, you know, she would spend a couple hours second-guessing everything, and was like, you don't have to write a small novel. You don't want to go one sentence unless that's all that justified but you know you don't need this massive essay i'll i'll take quality over quantity every time yeah a a 15 sentence post that gives the character's inner monologue but doesn't move the story forward in any way is far less valuable to me than a two sentence post that says hey here's what i'm thinking and we're doing this yep yep and those are obviously extremes but yeah you don't have to get super right now i will ask as the GM, is that a trap you can fall in? Oh, yeah. Oh, easy. Yeah, although, you know, one thing I heard was that your players are blind. They are not seeing what's in your head. So you have to describe what you see in your head. At the same time, so at the table, it's a little easier if you wind up in one of those GM monologues. The at-the-table players, like, you can pick up pretty quick. If your players are looking at you like they want to strangle you, oh, I'm <laughs> Um, play by post, though, I mean, there's no peer review while you're writing that post. So you can wall of text your players to death before you get feedback that, hey, you know, you're kind of overloading us here. A lot of times players will just skip it or skim it. Well, oh, yeah. that too. You end up with two problems there. Either one, they skim it and they miss the important detail that you put in there because that was the important detail and you wanted them to catch it. Or uh, they've uh, got so much information there that it's hard for them to process it all and create a return post that's uh, succinct and tells you as the GM what what they're thinking, what they're doing. There's just too much information to manage. All right. I think we've gone pretty well through most of this. Man, we're good at tangents. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the interruptions. 
<laughs> and the interruptions. But hey, the interruptions brought food. Yeah, you might well, sleep also... on the couch tonight, Eric, but you know. All right. So first of all, when we say what a good ad should look like, this is what we're talking about when I say a good ad. So, um, yeah, this is it's got pictures. It's got nice little tables and a bunch of explanations. This one is a touch on the long side, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when he's duplicated it. This oh, is has he? my my friends. There's a difference between your ad text and the game description. But yes. when you make an ad, the game description gets appended to your ad text. Yes. So don't duplicate it. So anyway, that said, now, that being said, this week's game of the week is A Thousand Tamzerian Knights being run by Potomi. A Thousand Tamzerian Knights is a D&D 5th edition game that sets the players on the continent of Elanthia, where they will embark on a series of campaign arcs ranging from level 2 all the way up to 16. From what I can tell, a ton of work has gone into the world building for this campaign, and Ptolemy has everything from factions to magic and more. Since it was adapted from the online MUD game known as Gemstone 4, there's plenty of to offer in this world. Apparently this uh, MUD, this particular MUD, has been around for over 20 years. So, yeah. Um, so one thing I really like about this game is that Ptolemy has put a lot of thought into not only finding characters for the game, but players as well. And actually, I want to show this because it's really cool. This section at the very bottom of his ad is specifically about the player. So um, there, it's, it's kind of like a survey that he's using to determine whether the players will get along as well as the characters. Um, well, so I'm cool. actually strongly considering borrowing this from him and using it for future games. Hey, Nathan? Yeah. Um, Nick the Rogue points out the pronunciation is Ptolemy. 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 Sorry. Uh, Nick the Rogue didn't give God me any pronunciation guide. Ptolemy. <laughs> now, Pot as for... Ptolemy. <laughs> now... As for the actual plot of the campaign, the game starts shortly after a brutal revolution called the Blood War. The peace in the region is tenuous at best, and the players will be cast into this world of intrigue, conflict, and revolutions. Recruitment for a thousand Tamzerian knights ends on August 26th, so be sure to get those applications in quickly. Alright, so now it is time for everybody's favorite segment of the show, the free-for-all. Woohoo! <laughs> So, the free-for-all segment of the show is back again. In this segment of the show, we're going to open the floor for questions and answers, but we're also going to allow myself and fellow casters to talk about anything we'd like. Uh, as always, this is going to be pretty unstructured, but it gives us the freedom to talk about other things and still answer questions as they come in. So, uh, before we get started, the first question is, as always, the mandatory question of what's making us happy this week. We're going to start with Colin. Oh, the what's making me happy? Yeah. Um, I only worked 70 hours this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. Good deal. For context, I've been pulling 80 hours of rough for... And it's going to be going back to that going to January. The life of a startup. Never <laughs> <Nope>. boring. Whiskey. <laughs> All right. So uh, next is Eric. What's making you Eric. happy this week? Awesome. Well, big shout out. My wife and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary just this week. So go us. And uh, aside from that... Soccer season starts next week, so uh, I'm going to get a lot of running in here soon. Okay. Uh, Ruben, what's making you happy this week? Uh, well, a couple things. First one is they dropped the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, which is awesome. I'll be starting a couple of Eberron games, which I'm really excited about. I saw that. Uh, that looks I'm, really cool. Oh, yeah. I love how they did the uh, Dragon Marks. They did Dragon Marks as a sub-race. Right. So they replaced some of your racial statistics. It's really slick. Uh, secondly, I'm also going to be building a new computer after years with the old one. I'm finally building a new one. I even have a pretty good budget this time, so that's fun. Nice. So uh, what's making me happy this week is that I am under 60 days to go until I get married. So, uh, hey! Still need to buy tickets. <laughs> so oh, that's coming up man, at the end of September. Yeah. So right. I'm pretty excited about that. And I know Mrs. Nate is running around like a chicken with her head cut off trying to get everything ready. And uh, Why I am you? helping where I can. Help what? Help I am! What the heck? <laughs> I am! But she's I, I help like whenever she asks me to help. Your head is still attached to your neck, so um, what gives? I just I, don't remember why it'd be that hard to plan. I got out of it easy. My mom <laughs> oh. caught home Oh, 
Everything uh, was wedding planning. By the time I got back from overseas, as Colin got back like two months before me, she and my mom had most everything planned out already. We did our 600 miles from the nearest family member. Well, we got to plan everything <laughs> ourselves and didn't have to deal with anyone else. My mother-in-law handled a lot of our planning. That was nice. All right, so Mick the Rogue wants to know, how do you get players interested in new game systems or weird RP exercises, such as Everyone is John, Lasers and Feelings, Fiasco, etc.? Hey, Lasers and Feelings is amazing, and there's so many different hacks. It should be used more often. But it's all um, about finding the right players that are willing to experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just read Kujo's next comment. We'll finish Mick's first. Um... I think part of it, Mick, is cult of personality. If the players like you and think you're going to do something interesting, if you go, oh, I want to try something in this system, the fact that they like you as a game master from other stuff potentially going to help get them. Yes, Mick, that's the takeaway. Start a cult. <laughs> yep, start a cult, play I, fiasco. <laughs> why do I try? The, um, the whole point here is to say, hey, we're going to have some fun. Don't Mike try to make this new system a long exercise. Give it a short run, little module, little adventure, something just to get their feet wet and say, hey, you know, is this something you want to do occasionally, more often, all the time, make it our primary system? Well, maybe not, but you know, certainly not for uh, uh, everyone is John. But uh, Well, the other thing, too, is look for new players. This might be a chance to find a whole new group of players to add to your rotation. Absolutely. And if you've got a couple diehards that are all in on the system... They can go and heckle people into also buying the stuff for that system. That really lower the barriers to entry, too. Um, it's a lot easier to get people to try something if they don't have to spend any money. Absolutely. That's why I like Rysis. Yep. Rysis, Stars Without Number. Lasers of Feelings. Now, to do it on the play-by-post side of things, it all comes down to your ad. Um, your ad will speak volumes as to whether people will be interested in, your, in the new system or not. Um what if it's a new system and you never made an ad, Nathan? Look at, Look at all the other good. <laughs> that that uh, go just means you had a cult, right? Yeah. If you have a uh, cult, you don't need ads. Uh, no. Also, so go I, back to our old I episode we cult? talked about making ads. Okay. I mean, no, uh, my takeaway is I have a cult. Apparently, I mean, so she do I. Part of my cult. So, I mean, I could have. I could go to my Discord server right now and be like, "Hey, you six people, let's play a game," <laughs> and they would. So. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I put up an ad for, like, let's play Monsters and Other Childless Things, I could probably get people to play. Uh, I blame... So, my Planet Mercenary game never put up an ad. Actually, I got dragged kicking and screaming as the Game Master. (laughs) That's a lie. I didn't get dragged in kicking and screaming. I made a challenge that uh, I didn't would happen. Whose fault is that? (laughs) No, that's absolutely my fault. I told uh, Velgan... And more noteworthy now, Sarah Koch, if they could find a full party for a brand new system that I would challenge in, in two hours, they talked four more people into buying the. You know what? We should actually have a bigger Patreon reward that's one of us will run a weird system they suggest for the rest of us. Who? <laughs> Nathan, I loved your face. Don't worry, Nathan, it won't be you. Okay. You've got enough on your plate right now. Okay. <laughs> Heck, I think we could do an entire season of Let's Plays just by letting the the uh, player or the patrons pick what we're going to run. We really could. Yep. Yeah, we have a kind of unfair advantage. If I if Ruben goes out and throws up an ad, just his blue name is going to draw attention. Pe- people will flock to that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've also been on the site for an ungodly length of time. That helps. Let Let's not talk about that. That's depressing. <laughs> Eric and I are hit. Eric, have we hit that depressing milestone yet? What, 10 years on the site? No, 10 years on staff. Uh, I'm getting damn close. We came on at the same time. Yes, yes, I remember that. I don't have it down to a day. I don't... Uh, I think it was in early 2000, so... Uh, I might be getting close to 10 years as a mod. I've been on the site 12. You were, say, I've you been were on the site for 11. Showed up. And I've been active for 7, so... I think I was gone when Nathan got brought. You were. Yeah, because otherwise you know what his vote would have been. <laughs> oh, did I say what? that out loud? <laughs> Come on! 
I mean, I will say, you know, so I was gone for two years because with all the stuff going on in the Navy, I did not have the time to run games, pull the admin duties that Rigo saddled. When I came back, I tried, actually, first I tried to get out of being on staff altogether. <laughs> yeah, we see how well that worked out. <laughs> then yeah, I tried to get, here. then I tried to get demoted to a mod, and then I just lost the fight with Rodrigo. Ugh. Oh, I fought him about it for a week. See, that's why I never bothered to learn all that coding junk. I don't know Much the coding than... junk. I'm the talkie man. Oh. Colin is the nice guy. Uh, I, should, I, should, I, I should really drag my feet on doing all this art stuff, huh? I'm, I'm sometimes the nice guy now. Yeah, Michael, well, with Michael's job has gotten more busy, so sometimes I'm the mean guy. I need someone I can pawn that off to. I don't like that part. Hey, Nathan, okay, you're good at taking on roles. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hang on. Run. What do you? What exactly are you getting at here? <laughs> you could be a big blue. Just, you just have to be the jerk. So I'm conflicted about that. <laughs> <laughs> I. What you guys need a? You need a heavy? No. You need a bad cop? No, they need. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> They need a public I relations think... person. Oh, PR. Is what the site that's... really needs. Officially, that's Colin's duties. Mm, what? You're just going to not... outsource your duties, Colin? Not really. No, that really is, and it's something I have been working on. There's a reason I'm ap- active on the site Discord so often, because as far as the administration, David's busy a lot. Rodrigo, I, I don't think he's ever not busy. It's to what degree is his schedule? Basically, if we had to put the structure of Mythweavers into actual terms, Rodrigo owns the site. And Colin does all is the coding. Colin, yeah, David does all the code. No, Colin no, Rodrigo is, does site level code. David does app kind of. Code. Colin is escalations. Colin is the COO. Mm-hmm. He's running it. Don't no, no, yes, you are. No, no, he's like, he's like. He's like the he's like a escalations basically, <laughs> and then there's the, all the moderators <laughs> who are you know peons. Well, oh, I was going to say that. Peons. Yes, highly paid. Yes. Oh yeah, Colin is HR. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I pretty for the most part I kind of run the mod side of things. So so basically, let's be honest. By this point, I mean Eric and I joined at the same time. Ruben's been around forever. Nathan's been around. By this point, the mods run themselves pretty much, and it's just a matter of everyone talking together in the staff Discord going, is this over the line, or am I just being cranky? Or and, so, and keeping MBK in control. <laughs> so, at this point, if there was to be a new administrator, it would be to <laughs> split Colin's duties between HR and public relations and escalations. Yeah. So, basically, Colin would stay HR and... Um, user escalations and then there would be a new like community growth and type thing oh no no colin would go kind of engagement <laughs> uh-huh and the new admin would get escalations and absolute oh. utter hell that's that's the standard the junior admin is the guy who's in charge of uh, dealing with yeah. the, the, uh, the show i guess that's you're, fair you're, you're you're really uh you're really selling it there guys <laughs> that's fair yeah yeah all right, um, we are about an hour and 20 minutes in, so let's move along so we can wrap up and then get back to the live stream. Hey, uh, Nathan? Yeah. Tiffany Corda wants to know where the interns apply. Uh, Colin's office is down the <laughs> hall. And, I knew that was coming. And around and around the corner. <laughs> it's it's the latrine out there in the back row. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. <laughs> Next to the dumpster, which is currently on fire. There is stuff coming, not like, call it quasi-staff. There's stuff being... I don't know. All right, let's get this show on the road. It's been on the road. We're getting the show off the... Whatever. You know what I mean. It's it's phrased. Where's your words, Nathan? (sighs) Oh, man, we almost broke him. We got that close. (laughs) That's not an objective. All right. I'd like to take just a moment to remind everyone that this episode of Weaving Myths is made possible by our Patreon. For those of you that don't know, Patreon is a method for content creators to gain income through the support of those who consume the content. 
Our Patreon offers a multitude of ways to support the show, and you'll get awesome rewards for signing up under any of the tiers. Contributions start at as little as $1 per month, so it doesn't take much at all to show your support. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash mythweavers. All contributions to the Patreon go to paying for online hosting of the show and supporting Mythweavers, the site we are um, a part of. We're not partnered with Mythweavers. Like, we're... We are Mythweavers. Like, we are Mythweavers. This is an officially (laughs) sanctioned podcast, Nathan. Yeah, we're the officially sanctioned podcast of Mythweavers. Um, So, the new video format you're seeing this season uh, was made possible by our incredibly generous patron. One last thing I should note, Weaving Myths is, always has been, and will always continue to be free, and signing up for the Patreon is not required. Um, Full episodes are always uploaded to SoundCloud within two days of the episode being recorded, and normal episodes will always be available for download or streaming, free of charge. Um, Before we move out of the show, um, I do have a couple shout-outs from our patrons who have subscribed at the $15 and higher tier. So, John D., Amanda C., Brendan M., Claire F., Amy G., and Christopher M., thank you all so much for your support. Um, We really, really do appreciate it. You guys are the best. Um, So, thank you everyone so much for joining us today. It's been a blast, and we appreciate all of the comments and questions from the text chat. As always, I'm Nathan, and I've been joined by the magnificent Colin... Been fun, everyone. Ruben. Later. And Eric. So long, and thanks for all the games. (laughs) Thanks for listening, and keep on weaving those myths.